at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Good evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program, very much. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Thursday, November 24, 2022. Standing signs an agreement to improve the living conditions of women in South Sudan. To enhance financial inclusion, we shall collaborate to provide access to banking service in remote areas. And a senior U.S. official says Sudan's military leader is not invited for the Africa summit. And as you know, they already have a number of punishments for the and its members and those who are helping it. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. U.S. President Joe Biden has invited 50 African heads of state for a three-day summit scheduled for December 13. Sudan and other three African countries are excluded from attending the summit. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Banner Banks, senior advisor for Africa at the White House National Security Council, told reporters on Tuesday that President Biden invited 50 of 54 African leaders to attend next month's summit. The Sudan Tribune reports that Dana Banks told reporters the meeting aims to foster trade and develop bilateral beneficial partnership to promote investment, create jobs through expanded roles of small and medium-sized businesses, and focus on women and equality. Banks said the White House did not invite four countries whose membership was suspended from the continental body, Sudan, Burkina Faso, Guinea, and Mali. Banks said the White House followed its African Union colleagues as a guide for inviting those countries who are in good standing with the African Union. The AU suspended Sudan's membership after army leader Abdul Fattah al-Burhan led a coup in October last year. Efforts by South Sudan in focus to reach Sudanese government spokesperson Jerham Abdul Ghadir for comment were not successful. Is speaking to this program in Khartoum, Sudanese political analyst Haj Hamad says excluding Sudan from a summit was not a surprise because of the current military rule in the country. Hamad says because of the coup, many countries which appear to promote freedom and democratic rule have suspended their cooperation with Sudan. He says Sudan will continue to lose international benefits if its leaders continue to block efforts to transition to democratic rule. The American uh, policy, uh, when it's set by the Foreign Relations Committee in the Congress, it is quite adamant against any military coup. And as you know, they already have a number of uh, uh, punishments for the coup and its members and those who are helping it. A former Sudanese diplomat to the United States, Meki al-Maghribi, says Sudan's exclusion is a message by the U.S. government to Sudanese military leaders to hand over power to civilian-led government. 
Sudan had an opportunity uh, to launch an active uh, diplomacy after Burhan uh, Hamadok deal last year, November, uh, to lift the suspension because simply the deal was blessed by uh, United Nations, African Union, European Union, and even the Troika, including the United States. But Sudan failed to, to do that. Al-Maghribi says if Sudan attended the summit, it would have helped gain economic benefits to restore what he calls the country's shaky economy. African countries, including Sudan, are losing now uh, because of the Chinese debt trap and, and the Russian disinformation campaigns and the process of militarizing economy uh, led by Russia and others. Uh, United States and the democratic uh, and free economy countries are good partners uh, to Africa. A senior South Sudan government official told this program that President Salva Kiir will not attend the summit. The U.S. and other Western countries suspended financial support to Sudan shortly after the October 2021 military coup. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. Amnesty International has released a report ahead of the African Union Peace and Security Council meeting on South Sudan scheduled for December 30th. The UK-based watchdog is calling on the continental body to speed up the process of establishing an independent hybrid court for South Sudan. Jeffrey Diagon is Amnesty International Africa's regional advocacy coordinator. He tells my colleague Nabil Biagio a successful hybrid court for South Sudan would set a precedent for... African-led justice across the continent. When the Peace and Security Council meets next week, we are calling on them to do at least three specific things. One is to ask the African Union Commission to speed up the formation of the court by finalizing, adopting and publishing the court's statute. Secondly, to decide the seat of the court as provided for in the Peace Agreement of 2015 and 2018. And then finally, to put in place measures to recruit essential staff. Uh, essentially, the African Commission uh, should identify key staff that need to be recruited as soon as possible to start working remotely uh, before the court is fully established. Why is it important to set up a hybrid court for South Sudan and how would it work in practice? So the importance of setting up the hybrid court for South Sudan is really for justice and accountability for the grave human rights violations and abuses that have been committed uh, in the conflict since 2014. We are in the ninth year since the conflict uh, uh, started, and we know the extent of violations includes the killing of civilians, sexual violence, displacement, and forced recruitment of child soldiers. Yet accountability and justice for these violations have not yet uh, uh, occurred. Therefore, the hybrid court for South Sudan will be really, really important in terms of fighting impunity. It is really impunity that has driven the violations and abuses that we have documented in that country. But even more importantly, uh, beyond dealing with the question of impunity, the hybrid court will be a great step forward in terms of providing redress for victims and survivors uh, of, this, uh, of these violations. Uh, some people say the topic of justice could potentially rock 
the boat because we have a fragile arrangement where a delicate piece is holding and is being implemented. And the hybrid court could potentially implicate some of the leaders on different sides of the conflict who are implementing the peace agreement right now. What do you say to that? And there is always a false dichotomy that is drawn between truth and justice, and we have seen that in the context of of, of South Sudan, that uh, justice may rock the boat, as you say. But we as Amnesty International believe that truth and justice are actually complementary. They both play important roles. Truth processes, like the one that has been considered now in South Sudan, is important in terms of finding uh, 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 the truth and giving victims and witnesses an opportunity to express uh, uh, their experiences. But justice is also equally important, especially for perpetrators that bear the greatest responsibility for violations and abuses. And we think that complement, uh, justice and truth are both complementary uh, and, and can work side by side to ensure that both truth and justice are achieved. And that will uh, ensure sustainable uh, uh, stability in the country going forward. Your report says the African Union must set a precedent for African-led justice by establishing the hybrid court for South Sudan. What other African countries do you have in mind that could benefit from a successful precedent of the hybrid court for South Sudan? The first time that a peace agreement signed within the continent provides a clear role for the African Union in terms of establishing an accountability mechanism. If it succeeds in South Sudan, uh, as we are demanding, then we have seen similar kind of violations and abuses in other parts of the of, of the continent, in the Sahel region, in Ethiopia currently, uh, in the DRC. So the possibility of African-led solutions to atrocities stand and set by presidents through the hybrid court of South Sudan to be replicated across the continent uh, could be high if we start with South Sudan, as we recommend, and that the peace agreements essentially provide. That's Japet Biagon, Amnesty International's Africa Regional Advocacy Coordinator. He spoke with my colleague Nabil Biagio on Wednesday. Stanbic Bank has signed a memorandum of understanding with UN Women to provide non-financial and in-kind assistance to women and girls in South Sudan to boost economic empowerment. The head of Stanbic Foundation says the strategic partnership will drive economic growth in South Sudan. Juliana Shiapai reports for VOA from Juba. The Memorandum of Understanding between Stanbic Bank South Sudan and UN Women is based on the belief that economic empowerment for women benefits not only individual women but also their children, their households and the communities they live in. Andrew Murugu, head of Stanbic Bank, said the bank and UN Women are committed to supporting South Sudanese women and girls. To enhance financial inclusion, we shall collaborate to provide access to banking services in remote areas. For women operating through the village savings and lending associations, we will ensure safe depositing and storage of funds. This is a problem we, we think uh, continues to persist across the country, and uh, that is what we feel, from a bank perspective, can also help to embrace and support financial inclusion. Internet penetration and increased digitization across the globe have turned the world into a global village, and we therefore commit to providing access to ICT and training. Peter Magola? The UN Women Country Representative in South Sudan explains how the collaboration will help women. 
we train them on how do you become entrepreneurs, what businesses can you do, how can you market your products. We trained on them. Now the question comes, where will they get the capital to start these businesses? So you and women provide them what we call a starting kit, a small kit where we give them, each of them, each group of 10 people are given a starting capital of about uh, between 5,000, between 1,000 and 5,000 US dollars, each of the group. And then they loan each other that small amount of money and then they begin, begin businesses. When these resources multiply, we now they are moved to them and given to other groups so that it has a multiplier effect so that each of the women can start up their businesses. Magola says UN Women is conferring with World Bank officials to talk about landing additional grants for South Sudanese business women. We are now working on a program with the World Bank to see how can we provide, provide them some grants, at least bigger grants, that can enable them to boost those businesses. Magola says UN Women and the bank are also discussing how the government can help women by streamlining the registration process for startup companies run by women as well as their access to financial institutions. Last month, Stanbic Bank South Sudan also signed the Memorandum of Understanding with the National Basketball Association in partnership with the Lualdeng Foundation to support sports. Our children are South Sudan's future. In this regard, we shall encourage our adolescent girls and young women to embrace basketball as a sport that can potentially transform their lives tremendously. Pauline Bayer, the head of Stanbic Foundation, says... Forging strategic partnership like this one will be the driver of economic growth in South Sudan. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shep in Juba. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, some internal displaced persons in South Sudan say they want peace. Find out why after the break. Speak out on important questions. The question today. What is your biggest regret? There was a time I beat up my son to the level that he can he cannot even stand up. So I really pity him and then I regretted what I did honestly. And then I since then I have never tried again. My biggest regret is when I lost my first wife in 2015, 12 June. But thank God, God has given me another beautiful wife. I don't have any regret. I've actually tuned myself to know that everything that happens in life is for a purpose. I can't say I've got a biggest regret, but it's all about challenges. I will be able to learn from it and manage it so that I mean everything will go smoothly. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. The World Health Organization and Africa Center for Disease Control say we all can help fight the global pandemic by frequently washing our hands with soap and water or using hand sanitizers. For more information on protecting yourself and others, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa Center for Disease Control. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa.
You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Some internal displaced persons sheltering at the UN Protection of Civilian Sites in Apanael State Capital, Malakal, are urging parties in the transitional government to implement the revitalized peace agreement. The IDPs say clashes between SPLAIO faction allied to General Simon Gatwich has forced families to seek refuge in camps. For VOA News, Viola Elias reports from Juba. Three months ago, deadly clashes broke out between the two I.O. faction in Tonga village of Panyikang County, displacing more than 20,000 people in the Upper Nile state capital, Malakal. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, or UNOCHA, said more than 5,000 people fled to Abujob and Adidiang, while others reached the protection of a civilian site in Malakal. Johannes Deng, a deputy chairperson at the POC site, says... Whatever hardships South Sudanese faced in and outside the site are due to a lack of peace and stability in the country. Then says people in the IDP camps need peace before they can go home. If the government of South Sudan could listen to our voices and the difficulties that the people living in the protection of civilian sites go through, they should bring peace. We want peace. This is what will save us from depending on and calling on the humanitarian organization to do that for us. Deng says after the renewed conflict in Upper Nile, more people who were displaced sought refuge inside the POC and local schools. Since the conflict started, schools were closed down because there are people living inside the schools. We placed them at schools because there are no places for them. Right now, the situation is unpredictable. Josephine James, a mother of five, says living conditions inside the POC site are deteriorating as people do not have enough food to eat. She says she has been selling vegetables in the market to help provide for her children. We have been staying here and doing a small business in the market. Our living condition here has been very difficult. There is no enough sorghum to feed everyone and even vegetables that are brought to the market assault expensively so nobody buys because people don't have money. Aduong Agola Rope, chairperson at the Protection of Civilian Site in Malakal, says some 50,000 people are living in the camp. Arop is urging the government to monitor local humanitarian groups who are helping IDPs to execute their mandate. They should put pressure on them so that they can do their work because if they are working to support IDPs in POCs, they should find out if people are getting enough food or services so that government would be sure that people inside POC are getting services that the government has not been given them. But if NGOs delivers their services, is the same as the government because they are partners. Last month, Fashoda County authorities said 23 people were killed and thousands of civilians displaced when a militia group attacked villages of both Niger, Padbor, Patho and Padit. The United Nations mission in South Sudan said in a statement that it is deeply concerned about emerging reports of violence in Fashoda County between armed young men from Jungule State, Fanga County and Fashoda County youth. 
own spokesperson Linda Tom said the highlighted tension and sporadic violence between different groups in Upper Nile and Jungle states that began in August have resulted in the displacement of thousands of people as well as the harassment and killings of other South Sudanese. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. From Juba, we move to the Australian capital, Sydney, where Australia's latest official climate survey says that days of extreme heat are becoming more frequent and sea levels continue to rise. The state of the climate report is released jointly by the Bureau of Meteorology and the National Science Agency. It blames the greenhouse gas emission for warmer temperatures. Phil Massa reports from Sydney. The State of the Climate Report is published every two years. Released Wednesday, the 2022 study states that Australia's climate has warmed by about 1.5 degrees Celsius since national records began in 1910. The report anticipates more frequent heat waves and more intense heavy rainfall. It asserts that bushfire seasons will be longer and increasingly dangerous. The study said the severity of warmer temperatures would depend on the speed at which global greenhouse gas emissions can be reduced. Even a downturn in industry and transport during the COVID-19 pandemic, the research found, hasn't been enough to slow global warming. Jackie Brown is a senior research scientist and the director of the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, or CSIRO's Climate Science Centre. She told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation Wednesday that climatic conditions in Australia would become more intense. Australia, as you know, we're droughts, we're floods, and we just alternate between those two. And it's the fact that we're going to see more of those and they're happening in more extreme ways. Parts of eastern Australia remain on flood alert after record-breaking rainfall. Associate Professor Ailey Gallant from Monash University told local media that the report highlighted clear evidence that Australia's climate is changing and said deep and aggressive cuts to carbon emissions were needed. Australia's Minister for Industry and Science Ed Husick told reporters Wednesday that the research reinforced the urgent need for action on climate change. For the first time, Australia has a legislated target to cut greenhouse gas outputs. In August, new laws were passed by the federal parliament in Canberra that would cut carbon emissions by 43% by 2030. Australia has been one of the world's worst per capita emitters of greenhouse pollution. Coal and gas still generate most of its electricity. Phil Mercer for VOA News. Sydney. Africa is looking forward to its first victory at the Qatar World Cup from either the Black Stars of Ghana or the indimitable Lions of Cameroon, who will be playing in their first group match today. Cameroon will play Switzerland in the first match of the day, and the Black Stars will take on will take on Portugal. Yesterday, Morocco drew nil nil with Croatia. 
Viewers Jackson Vunganyi, who is in Ghana's capital Accra, tells Daybreak Africa host James Batty, the people of Ghana and all of Africa are hoping the Black Stars would deliver Africa's first win at the tournament. Good morning to you, James. We are all excited because of the World Cup and you are in Ghana where the action for Africa is uh, taking place today, Thursday, when the, the Black Stars take the page. What's the situation there? Well, Ghanaians are very excited and they're looking forward to their first matchup today against Portugal. Uh, Portugal is a, a European powerhouse. They have one of the best players in Ronaldo, but that is not phasing or scaring Ghanaians. The supporters of the Black Stars say that they know that their team has a chance. And looking at some of the matches and the surprises we've seen in this World Cup, I would not be surprised if uh, the Black Stars came away with a win. But this will be very much a repeat of the 2014 matchup of the World Cup between Ghana and uh, Portugal, where Portugal won by 2-1. to one. So there's very much a relationship here between these two teams. But Ghanaians are very confident that they are going to beat uh, Portugal because they need this win to kind of give them the confidence. Apart from the loss of uh, Senegal, the performance of African countries in this World Cup is very impressive. Tunisia played to a draw, and now, along with Ghana, Cameroon is also playing on Thursday. How are they looking at the, the performance of African countries in this World Cup there? And you know, the performance of African countries has surprised many people. Even soccer analysts did not anticipate or forecast this type of performance. But, you know, this probably is uh, Africa's year at the World Cup. For the Black Stars coming into this competition last weekend, they played against Switzerland, which is a great team, and they were able to beat it in a friendly match. And that, again, gave them the confidence that they do have a chance. And, you know, as all the other teams have not won as yet, they are thinking that maybe Ghana this today is the day when Africa uh, grabs its first win and they're all looking at the Black Stars. When I first came here a couple of days ago, there was a cautious optimism. They're like, you know, the team is young. They're kind of fresh first. They don't have the same experience as uh, Portugal and some of these other teams. But after watching what has been happening in this World Cup, they're like, maybe our boys have a chance. Maybe our boys can do it. And that is the energy they are taking into this World Cup into their first matchup. Well, Jackson, maybe the Black Stars in Africa, we might be lucky, especially with uh, Ronaldo's problem with Manchester United. <laughs> maybe when he comes with that, when he comes with that kind of energy in his, in his head, because remember this, this is very much a physical sport, but it's also very much a, a mental sport. And, you know, with all the drama that has been surrounding Ronaldo, maybe this is a, a time for the Black Stars to exploit that moment and <laughs> catch them when they're kind of done, when their big man is still is done. Is done. Jackson, thank you so much again. Uh, hello, let's wish uh, Black Stars good luck and we'll check with you again after the game. Thank you so much, James. Good to talk to you. That's VOA's Jackson Vungani speaking with my colleague James Baji from Accra. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. 
That's all we prepared for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with some music from Ghana. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Yeah, you who are the shadow with the moon, no matter the universal power.